it's a mecca for cycling for sure. Hey everyone, I hope you had a great week since the last time that we got together. This past week, I found out that a dear friend of mine, Todd Godowski, passed away. And dealing with loss is so difficult. I've been thinking about this. I've thought about this every time that I've lost somebody who held a big place in my life, whether I had recently seen them or it had been years those connections that we make with people are so deep and indelible that they just take up space within us and in a really great way. So when you hear that they're gone, it really hurts. And I think that part of the reason why it's so difficult to talk about grief is it's a big subject. It's one that we constantly push to the margins of our lives and just we all know that it's there we all know that one of the certainties of life is that it will end at some point for us and for others in our lives but we don't really want to talk about it we don't want to address it until it actually happens and I think to compound that is the huge emotional burden that grief is to each of us. We don't really know how to address grief. And I don't think the experts do either because it's different for each of us, each and every one of us. And when I decided that I wanted to dedicate this episode to my friend Todd Godowski, whom I'll tell you about shortly, just an incredible human being. I thought, Syl, you know, you've really bitten off more than you can chew here. I'm as much of an expert on grief as the next person is. And mostly, we're very uncomfortable about it because we don't have the answers. And when we don't have answers, we don't know how to proceed. And so I spend some time listening to experts. And I'm going to include all of those resources in the show notes because they might help you, whether you are a friend or a family member of Todd, or whether you have lost somebody in your life that's very important to you. And the struggle is different for each of us. It's one of the things that the experts have all said. So I think that the thing with grief is that not only is there no answer on how to deal with it, there's there's no manual on how to approach grief. There's suggestions. There are examples that are kind of similar, perhaps, to your experience that can help you a little bit. But it's never going to give you the full answer. And so every time that we go through it, it's a new experience for you personally, but also with how you share grief with others, theirs and yours, 
because each person that was so deeply meaningful to us personally that we lose was deeply meaningful in different ways to other people. So their loss is a little bit different than our loss. The similarity is that we're talking about the same person. And sometimes the similarities are quite big. We understand that this was a very kind person. We know what their mannerisms, their habits, their sense of humor, all of those things that make this person who they are. We can laugh about the same things. Maybe we've even experienced the same events in the same place with that person and others who are connected to that person. And so we can laugh about that or hug each other over it or cry over it. And those are all fine emotions. Those are all fine responses. And that brings me to something else that makes grief so difficult is that It strips away a lot of that shell of bravado that we walk around in, that belief that we've got everything put together to reveal our vulnerabilities. And even when we know that somebody else is showing their vulnerabilities, we have been, as a culture, I believe, so this is my personal belief, taught that We have to be dignified. We have to be strong. We have to show courage in the face of adversity and never let them see you cry. Those are all cliches, aren't they? But they're so ingrained in our culture that it is really hard when that pain rises and touches our eyes, makes our voice quiver, and just breaks us down in a way that makes it really difficult for us to regain our composure. So we avoid it at all cost. And I think that is another part of grief that makes it hard for us to move through it. And it's also part of what makes it so hard for us to share empathy with somebody else who is going through the same thing because we're trying to keep it together and they're trying to keep it together. And there's this invisible rule of all the things that I just mentioned that are being, all these rules are being broken in that moment. And so nobody knows what to say. Um, I don't definitely don't have all of the answers have very, very, very few of them. It's kind of like you have two pieces to a 500 piece jigsaw puzzle, right? And you say, these. I got these two pieces, but you don't know where the other 498 of them are. You don't know how to put them together. And I think that's how grief is. And I think I might have gotten a little clue, a little insight into why we're only holding two or three or four or five pieces of that 500 piece puzzle or that 1000 piece puzzle or that 1500 piece puzzle. And it's because other people are holding pieces of the puzzle themselves too. And I was listening to Brene Brown 
talking with David Kessler, who is a grief expert. And he said a couple of things. He said that, quote, grief must be witnessed, end quote. And he said that the witnessing requires us to take care of one another. When we don't know what to say to somebody else, because how do you comfort somebody whose loss is surely greater than your own? How do you accept condolences from people when somebody else has had a greater loss? There's this discomfort that goes with it. And some of the takeaway that I got from listening to David Kessler is the idea that loss comparison, when we start comparing the quality of our loss compared to somebody else, the depth of our loss compared to somebody else's, it stops our participation in the loss process, in that grief process. It's kind of a shield that we put up. This is greater for somebody else, so I really can't feel this deeply about this. And I think when I say it that way, it's really a shame because we feel so deeply all the time for the friends and the family and the the very special people who are in our lives David Kessler even includes even includes pets and such things, such institutions as marriage, a job, um, your car, the things that you love. And it seems trite when you compare it to a person's life. But those things affect us deeply, too. And his statement is regardless of what it is that you are grieving, the worst loss is always your own loss. Although certainly with Todd, there is no doubt that the greatest loss is with his family. For me, it's the loss of a friend, the loss of somebody who went through a crazy journey together with me like Cub Scouting, who brought some really amazing things to the table during that time. Those are my puzzle pieces. And I know that other people have many other puzzle pieces. And I think if I am interpreting this right, and I think interpretation is how you find meaning. So the way that I'm finding meaning, which may be completely different than anybody else's, may be completely different for your situation, is that when we come together and talk about the people that we love, that we care about, that have made such huge differences in our lives and have now left our lives, we're coming to the table with our puzzle pieces. We're bringing them with us and saying, hey, let me connect my piece with your piece. Those two look like they go together. Then somebody else comes up and starts talking and says, hey, my puzzle piece goes together with that. And eventually this grieving community creates a big picture. The 500 pieces of that puzzle are put together. And some people bring more and some people 
have less, but they're all integral and they're all important in putting together a whole picture of who a person was. And that is one of the ways that we witness grief. It doesn't make it any easier, but I think it brings about a grace to the process. It lets us know that grief is normal and that it's part of what it means to be human, that we're not alone in our grief, whether we have one piece of the puzzle or 250 pieces of the puzzle. And I think that another thing that's really beautiful about that analogy is that it allows us to see how many pieces that person had chosen to distribute, how wide the scope of their reach, of their ability to make a difference in other people's lives is. And in this way, we witness one another's grief. Um, So I think I'm going to stop there with my very amateur analyzing of grief and its meaning in my life and how I extrapolate that into understanding others' responses to grief, the wider picture of what grief is. Um, I think grief to me is a participatory event and it's also somewhat of a spectator event. We watch it. We watch the way that it weaves through life. It is an integral part of life. It connects us more deeply with one another. And I think we have to come together as a community and support those who are holding the puzzle pieces to bring meaning. I think it's a universe of a subject. There is so much to cover. And again, I'm not an expert. I don't intend for this to be a manual on grief, nor to have any answers whatsoever to it. But I hope that what I just shared helps in some way. And again, there will be resources in the show notes that will hopefully help as well. And so I do want to move on from here and just introduce you to the amazing person that Todd Godowski was and the amazing presence that he continues to be. I met Todd about a year after I met his wife, Elizabeth. She was just this breeze of creativity and sunshine. It just, just such a lovely lady. And it just happened that my son and her son were in the same grade together. And then her daughter's and my daughter were also in the same grade together. So we had kids who were the same age, went obviously to the same school. 
And we just spent a lot of time together. The kids going to each other's homes at that time. And the really cool thing is that we had formed this super tight knit group of moms who did a lot of things together. We hung out all the time. We'd go to each other's homes. We'd go out to dinner. We'd go watch movies. Of course, celebrate kids' birthdays together. It was just a nice little school family that we had. And later, the boys both became interested in Cub Scouts. And I think that's when I really got to know Todd. So both of our boys ended up in the same den, in the same pack. And there was one day when we were wrapping up a pack celebration, and it was our den leader's turn to speak. And she was just this hilarious, unflappable, super unpredictable lady who always talked to everybody like we were in the middle of some big joke and the punchline was just about to come up any moment. She just really made us laugh a lot. And so she took the stage this night to congratulate the boys on their various achievements. And she ended her speech with a thanks to everyone and a farewell. And we literally all thought it was a joke, but she started to walk down the stairs from the stage and she starts to unbutton her khaki den leader shirt, which of course had another shirt underneath. She's got this huge smile on her face. Like she always did like, like, this is the funniest thing ever. And she tells us all it's a men's large. She had inherited it and it's going to fit anybody. And then she laid it down on the stairs and she kept walking out the double open doors into the night air. And everybody like watched those doors for a second. And then everybody turned to look at us. And Todd and I are like next to each other going, what the heck just happened? Todd's like, is she serious? I'm like, I, you know, I'm not really sure, but it kind of seemed like it. So we turn around, we're looking at the other doors because she's such a practical joker. We're just figuring that she's probably going to walk around the building, come in through one of the other doors and tap us on the back and go, just kidding. But instead, we heard a car start up and then roll slowly down the street. And we're like, well, clearly she was serious. And the thing about Todd is he had this unassuming quiet, serene, calm about him that was almost humble. And he always had this slight smile on his face. Like he was just digging the hell out of life. And the best way for me to describe that smile would be like a Mona Lisa smile where he was very happy watching everything that was going on around him. And very happy listening to everything that was going on inside of him. And it was a lot. You wouldn't know this because he was so quiet. He was just always kind of floating on the margins of everything. But when it came to action, he always knew what to do. He always had the answers. That serenity that pervaded everything about him belied these superpowers almost that he had. I mean, he had so much knowledge about the city of Los Angeles. 
He was an Eagle Scout when it was time for our Cub Scouts to fulfill their archery requirement. He was on top of it. He was always having fun. He was like a giant kid. And when Marva left, our Cub Scout dem leader, when she just left, and we, nobody, as far as I know, has ever seen her since that time. So I hope that wherever she is, she is doing well. She was an awesome lady, and I'm still waiting for her to come back and say, just kidding. But Todd walked over and said, well, clearly she's not coming back. How about if we lead these boys together? And when Todd asked you to do something, you knew that there was dedication behind it. You knew that there was knowledge behind it. And there was this additional component for anybody that he teamed up with on any project. And that was providing encouragement and confidence to the other person that they had it in them to be successful in the task as well. And so we did end up becoming co-Cub Scout Den leaders. So, um... The things that you would never know about Todd, at least that I didn't know at that time, were that he was the head of the records management division for the L.A. County Clerk's Office. He oversaw the L.A. City Record Center and the City Archive. I mean, <laughs> there was so much information there for our boys when it came to any of the activities that involved government that involved history of the city, civic service, or civic duties. He was the ultimate resource. He also, because he was so active in outdoors activities, he knew where all of the cool places were. He knew where we could find fossils, for example, where we could go camping, whatever it was that was required of the boys, because He previously worked for the Los Angeles Recreation and Parks Department. He also worked in the Elections Division, and he was president of the Los Angeles City Historical Society. And like I said, he was an Eagle Scout. And he was a bigger nerd than I am, which is just fabulous. Those boys had so much support just by having Todd on there. And the two of us really had a great time. Of course, I learned about these amazing positions that he held as we led our den. And so I was going through the manual to see what the next thing was that the boys needed to do. Go to a city government office and learn about the city and learn about government. And I started making a list because I didn't know that Todd worked for the city. When we got together, I said, here's a list of all of these places. I'll start making phone calls tomorrow. I'm sure that among them all, somebody's going to say yes to our boys and let us visit. And he didn't tell me where he worked. He just said, I've got some friends. I got a couple of connections. I think maybe I can get this together for us. And he did. He got us an appointment to go to the city planning offices so that the kids could learn about uh, city planning. And it's very endearing to me as a mom and really awesome as a den leader to have these city engineers take time out of their day to address a group of young boys and answer their questions. It was a great day for them. 
It was also a great day for our pack because as I mentioned in episode 19, there was some rivalry within the pack, unfortunately, during that time because of the adults. And (laughs) adults, any adults listening who are part of any type of kids team oriented activities, be super cool, be super cool with each other, be really supportive of each other because every other parent that is part of that group is trying to enrich their kids lives, just like you are. So um, I do encourage that. But there, you know, there were some issues going on and they really started uh, because of our ability to get this visit planned. It's not that the other den didn't have the ability to plan. They certainly had plenty of parents who had connections as well, but they felt that we were excluding them. Um, You know, as new leaders of this group, we just were trying to pick up and figure out where we were going. And this other group was way ahead of us. So we just assumed that they had already done this. And although we at that time just said, hey, you know, if you want to be part of this, we will make it a bigger group. We're more than happy to include you. Um, it was a bit of an issue. It was just, you know, very bristly and not very pleasant at all. But eventually everybody got along. The animosity slowly dissipated, mostly because of Todd. So I'm laughing because during his celebration service, Holly Wolcott, who is the city clerk for the city of Los Angeles, took to the podium to let everybody know all of Todd's accomplishments and how well he was liked in the office. And the one thing that she mentioned that gave me a giggle is that Todd was basically like the great moderator. He was known to be able to work and create an atmosphere of harmony with everybody, including the person who just couldn't get along with other people. Those people always found themselves working beside Todd and loving their job. And that's basically a testament to how peaceful Todd was. The word that I heard most echoed during that celebration of life, every single person that talked about Todd, whether it was formally at the podium or whether it was in the small groups that congregated afterwards just to kind of comfort one another and bring meaning to the passing of somebody who was so big in our lives. Just to say we knew this wonderful man and to acknowledge that somebody else knew him too. That word was a rare and just ever-present kindness within Todd. It didn't matter what they were talking about, whether it was accolades, um, awards, his job being the captain of the L.A. Harbor Dragon Boat Club. Anything that Todd did, that word kept coming up. And just to circle back to the scouting incident, it was so difficult for a space of a month or so. Just really, really difficult. Very contentious working with the other den at the time that we were the second den of this this particular school. Normally, dens are part of an organization, and ours happened to be a school. Um, And 
between the two of us because I do always seek to understand where that tension is coming from, where the misunderstanding is coming from, and I want to rectify it. That was my contribution to creating some peace. Todd's contribution was just that he was peace. It's really hard to dislike Todd. I've never met anybody who had anything to say. And I know that's said often about people, but it's the truth. I never heard anybody say anything negative about Todd because he was such an incredibly peaceful person that it just kind of got absorbed by other people through osmosis. It was like this peaceful osmotic process. So um, we ended up having that other den join us. That was kind of like the white flag. That was the truce. We were able to move forward again as a more united den. And I really credit Todd a lot with that outcome. So following Cub Scouts, kids ended up going to different middle schools and, you know, those friendships kind of start to thin out and they lose touch with each other. And the same thing sort of happens to the adult relationships. And really for every time that you could say something negative about social media, there is a positive thing to say, which is that it is what helped keep the adults connected. And so that's mostly where I kept in touch with Todd and Elizabeth, except for this one day when we decided to go to Seclavia. As I mentioned in episode 22 with Jan Luke and cycling, um, Seclavia is, it's an enormous event in Los Angeles. It happens a couple of times a year. They close down so much of downtown Los Angeles that you normally don't get to visit. And you take your bicycle, you can walk it, you can run it, you can take your dogs, um, take a stroller, but it's an opportunity for you to check out all the stuff that you never get to check out. The ornate sculptures in front of bank buildings and plazas, that cool fountain that you've always thought you'd like to stop and throw a penny into or something. Um, I don't know if that's environmentally friendly or not, but you know what I mean. <laughs> it, anyway, it attracts upwards of 100,000 people every single time. And they keep adding mileage. They keep adding to the length of the course. And we were riding our bikes over by Echo Park. And I look up and in this sea of bicycles, where, like I said, over 100,000 people were at, we ran into Todd and Elizabeth. And of course, they were going to be there because Todd works for the city and he knew where all the cool stuff was. And of course, we were going to be there because I'm always looking for cool stuff. They were the needle in the haystack to us and we were to them. It wasn't very long after that that I started to produce storytelling events. And Todd, being the fearless person that he was, took me up on an offer to take the stage. I mean, he had so much understated courage and a deeply participatory approach to life. And he earned the title of Master Story Weaver that night for the story about the time when he worked a parking booth at Cabrillo Beach. And it was hilariously shifted off its foundation. And he never fessed up to how that happened. 
and I still laugh when I think about it. There's so much more that I can share, but I think, at least I hope that this gives you an idea of how fortunate those of us who knew Todd truly are. And I'm tremendously sad that I never got the opportunity to have him on this program so that you could hear directly from him about his remarkable accomplishments. In fact, he was so humble about them that it was regularly his wife, Elizabeth, who is an equally gentle and creative force in her own right, that posted a lot of his accomplishments. And it almost seemed that it was kind of in spite of his insistence that it was really nothing worth mentioning. (laughs) This is so much more than a eulogy to a friend that I'm going to miss. It's a reminder to follow in Todd's example, to participate fully in life, to be the peace, the unity that brings people together, because that is what life's about. And just a gentle reminder that kind words matter, that caring and loving words make a difference. And build up people, that they should be spent with the acknowledgement that we have them in infinite reserves. And, you know, the truth of the matter is that you're never going to run out of words that encourage and elevate others. And the amazing paradox in that is that the more that you practice kindness, the more you elevate yourself. So you actually create a better life. So I hope that you will join me in honor of Todd or a Todd in your life in telling the people in your life how remarkable they are and why. And in getting out there in nature, join a walking group or even row with the Dragon Boat Club that's near you. Get curious about everything, including the history of your city. Volunteer. Connect fully with others and bring more joy into your life and that of others. And whenever you can, be the peace and always be kinder than you need to be. That was both a tough and somehow comforting episode. I hope that it provided some peace to your life, especially if you're struggling with the loss of someone or in how to add meaning to your life if you're struggling with that. Todd's family has my friendship and my deepest sympathy. And I hope that the high regard and sense of connection that the many, many communities that he was involved in brings a measure of comfort and healing. As always, I'll post links to everything in the show notes. Please continue to send me your questions, suggestions, your thoughts. I love hearing from you. And take a moment to rate this episode. It only takes seconds. And your rating really does help move this podcast closer to the top of searches so that my friends and I can reach more people. My friends are amazing. And I am so excited to share more upcoming In the Company of Friends talks with you. So be sure to follow me on the socials and the dot com where I post updates, upcoming topics, recipes, and lots more. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the dot com, all at the Queen Trail Podcast, which is T H E Q U A I N T R E L L E Podcast. 
I am Syl Annan, the Queen Trail, and until next time, I wish you passion, grace, adventure, community, peace, elegance, and beauty.